The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Building Healthier Relationships podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. You don't fully heal from narcissistic abuse. There are phases that one does go through in their healing journey and that when you develop more insight and you take accountability for your own actions, that is a sign that you are healing, but uh, you will never be fully healed uh, from abuse. And I think that's a misconception that people have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of Building Healthier Relationships podcast and the co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Natalie Jones. She's a licensed psychotherapist in California. Dr. Jones has years of experience of helping women heal from narcissistic abuse. She has also spent several years providing therapy and assessment services to both victims of domestic violence and criminal offenders in a variety of settings, including prison, hospitals, rehabilitation facilities, and domestic violence shelters. Are you wondering how should you start your healing journey? Are you wondering if you will ever fully heal from narcissistic abuse? Do you want to learn how to start healing even if you are still in the abusive environment? Do you feel guilty for moving on and leaving your narcissistic family of origin behind? Do you know why some abusers have such a strong negative reaction to seeing the person they abused moving on and thriving? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then this episode is for you, because Dr. Natalie Jones will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi, thank you for joining me today, Dr. Natalie. It's nice to speak with you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. That's nice to hear. Uh, so today we have five questions. And the question number one is, my sense of self got absolutely destroyed by the narcissist. The relationship has ended now, but I feel overwhelmed because I feel like a big mess. Where should one start their healing journey? Well, it sounds like, um, you know, just having that level of awareness that your sense of self was destroyed is a valuable insight. So one of the things that I always encourage people to do is to start counseling right away um, to speak with someone who is objective and can help you with um, rebuilding that and finding yourself and you know, talking about what you learned about your whole experience with the relationship. Okay, great. What are some like alternatives? Because we know often that not everyone has access to counseling or it's hard to find someone who understands like narcissistic abuse or they find like, or sometimes at least the where the country that I'm in, there is like... A lot of people needing help and to uh, to not so much like people who can help so what what could be like good alternatives to counseling? absolutely yeah so there's other alternatives to counseling journaling is good there's a lot of self-help books out there that are good in terms of helping you find your sense of self boosting your self-esteem 
um, you know, helping you learn and discover more about yourself on your healing journey. So self-help books are good. There's a ton of information out there on podcasts and YouTube, which is also very good. And also, you know, just finding a support system. So reintegrating yourself back out into the world, finding things and people that you love and enjoy doing and just start, you know, being more social and more active again so that you can come out of out from under that shell um, and start to build a supportive community around you. Um, but again, there's there's a lot of free resources out there. Some everything is not good. So you do have to use a level of discernment uh, when doing that. But that's definitely those are definitely places where I would start. Okay, great. Do you have any recommendations you mentioned to self help books, for example, or any like books that you find? And then you mentioned that there is also information that's not good. So do you have any like actually name some books or resources that you have found most helpful and accurate? It depends on where you're at in your abuse recovery journey and what your specific type of abuse was. Um, you know, a lot of people that come out of relationships with narcissists are, um, may not necessarily be ready to, you know, look at everything because it's so overwhelming. Um, if you're a woman, I recommend books like, you know, women who love too much or, you know, things by, uh, books by Harriet Lerner, like dance with intimacy, dance with anger. Um, and, you know, so she has a, a good plethora of books. Um, if you dealt with abuse in your family and you're maybe, um, estranged, um, Dr. Sherry Campbell has, uh, good books there. Um, you know, adult survivors of, um, toxic families and, um, you know, also a book, I forget the, the name of the title, but her second book is about cutting off the family. And then, um, you know, there's lots of great books on boundaries. Cloud and Townsend wrote the, um, the uh, Boundary Bible. So I recommend them first over anyone. And then um, there's a book by Sharon Martin. Sharon Martin has a couple of books on boundaries. Um, and so she's she's the one that I would recommend um, next on on her books. Yeah. So I think those are great places to start. Uh, because normally when you're, you're leaving a, an abusive relationships, boundaries um, are one of those things. There's also some self-esteem workbooks or the self-love workbook. And I forget who the name, the name of the author was um, that wrote that book, but it's on Amazon and it's a self-love workbook. Um, and that's a good way to you know, explore some things with yourself. I, um, yeah. So those would be great places to start. Thanks. The self-love workbook by Dr. Shana Ali. Okay, great. Thank you so much for those. Uh, then the next question is, how do I know when I have fully healed from narcissistic abuse? How does it feel when you have fully healed from it? You don't fully heal from narcissistic abuse. 
how does it feel then if you are not fully healed? Does it mean that there is still always going to be triggers, but you are able to manage them? Or what can you... I think what people need to understand is like when you're, when you've experienced abuse, um, most people don't usually experience narcissistic abuse from one person. It's usually um, several different people and several different aspects. There are phases that one does go through in their healing journey and that, you know, um, you think of it like a scar and a scar heals over time, but it's always there. So I think when you think about healing from abuse, you one should think of it in that way. It's like, this is an experience that happened in my life. Um, and sometimes it was several experiences or a multitude of experiences with different people that happened with my life over time and doing the intentional work in terms of therapy, in terms of working on yourself, uh, working through the emotional trauma and triggers, it does become less intense. You're not triggered or you're able to move on and find other healthy relationships. But I think, you know, when you're able to kind of be in a healthy relationship and you're not um, sort of making decisions that are trauma-based, uh, meaning that you're not triggered or you're not lashing out or you're not, you know, you're not feeling afraid or, you know, you're not feeling like, oh, there's no one that I could trust or someone's being manipulative to me or the types of relationships you surround yourself with um, are very different. Um, those are signs of healing when you develop more insight and you take accountability for your own actions. That is a sign that you are healing, but uh, you will never be fully healed uh, from abuse. And I think that's a misconception that people have. Um, that, you know, you had this and, you know, one day you'll be able to kind of skip off into the sunset and it's no longer impacts me. No, I think it, it's always going to have an impact. Thank you. Um, that was, I think that needs to be said out loud very like, that was a very truthful answer. So thank you so yeah. much for that. Like we can't uh, be in this fairyland fairy and convince ourselves that everything is fine because at mm -hmm. like at the same time that is it's hard to grow in an environment where you kind of lie to yourself or yeah. try to make things better when they aren't but those signs that you did give like that you don't get, uh, get triggered anymore you are not anymore afraid you're surrounded by healthy people those sound very positive to me at least like yeah they are very positive um, but it's also a journey it's not an overnight thing it's not sometimes it may take more than a year it may take more than two three four or five years um, and so it's, it takes work and it takes intention and thoughtfulness to get to that place um, but it's it's not always easy some people you know may never get to that space depending on how severe the abuse was that they experienced and maybe their growth and their healing journey is going to look a little different um, but i think it's it's something that we have to be mindful of is once you go through it you'll never forget it and you'll never be fully over it it won't have the same level of impact over time but yeah mm -hmm. and uh you also mentioned um that 
there are like different fra- uh, phases in the healing journey. And you also mentioned that like everyone's healing journey is going to look different. But my question or follow up question relates to those different phases that can you give some general kind of uh, examples of these phases that could be included in the healing journey, even though we know that it's probably going to be different for everyone? It is going to be different for everybody. I say the first phase is probably, um, you know, recognizing the abuse, you know, having a level of awareness there that this is what's happening. Um, and this is what's going on. Um, and like just the level of awareness. Um, and, uh, and I think that's important because a lot of times people when they reach out for support with abuse is that they internalize blame or they say that you know this is happening like they minimize the actual impact of what's happening so you know just that level of awareness um being able to step back from the abusive uh person or abusive environment um so that's going to look a little different from everyone but you have to be able to step back in order to gain a sense of clarity and awareness um i think you know also getting some support uh where you're talking to people that are objective and non-judgmental and who get it uh that's going to be very imperative and very crucial um to do that. Uh, I haven't seen anybody effectively do it without uh, professional help. Um, I'm just going to be honest. And I think, um, you know, having a safe space to share your feelings. So having some support people that are showing up for you and that can be there for you, I think is also very imperative. Um, So that's another stage of healing journey because a lot of times people who have been abused are very isolated or they have uh, a poor quality relationships around them. Maybe they have other abusive people around them or other toxic friendships or things like that. So, you know, making sure that you find people that are appropriate for what stage you are at in your healing journey, I think is going to be important. Um, I think um, being intentional about focusing on, on that. I think it's, it's not a, um, a healing journey. It's not a, I'm going to do that this week and next week I'm not going to do something else. I, it's something you have to be intentional about and focus on every day, what you would like to accomplish as far as that goes. And that might be even something like waking up and taking care of yourself by eating right or going for a walk to clear your, your mental energy. Um, and so I think that's another thing. And, and, and then, you know, another aspect is taking care of your emotions, being accountable for your emotions and your behaviors. Uh, sometimes we get into, uh, victimhood, where we overly identify ourselves as a victim or we overly identify everybody else as bad people. Um, so you have to take accountability for your behavior, your actions. And, you know, just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you have to create stories around that when it comes to people or what their intentions or what their actions are. So I think those are different different phases and then just recreating your life, how you want it to look. Um, you are in control of your life. Uh, so I think that's, um, you know, yeah. Thank you so much. I have one more follow-up question around this question and, uh, question number two that we are now going through. And you said that, 
um like it is unlike like you haven't seen that someone uh has made like um visible uh, like healing progress without professional help right you said correct. Like some, yeah correct. correct so uh but we at least i because i'm not a mental health professional i sometimes feel overwhelmed by this all kinds of different types of therapy like i see cognitive behavior therapy i see schema therapy i see like different types so uh like i do understand that there's probably like yeah well you go through with the individual and you try to decide what type of therapy would be best for you and yours in your situation but could you like kind of let's say that someone has been in a like a narcissistic romantic relationship and for four years for example and then someone who has been in a narcissistic like family setting like their like their whole childhood in in a narcissistic family and uh, would you say that some type of therapy is more like beneficial for the other person coming from a narcissistic family or and and then for the person ex who has experienced narcissistic abuse in a romantic like a relationship or just go through some examples of those different types of therapy and how can they how they can help you i don't think theoretical orientations matter which is what cbt dbt and person-centered and all those other kind of things are i don't think that theoretical orientation so much as matters um you know interventions and things like that are great but the number one thing that um i think what determines the outcome of success in a therapeutic relationship is um, the client is willing to do the work and they have this relationship with the therapist and i think you know whenever you're choosing a therapist you need to select someone based off of what your experiences are and hopefully that they are able to treat what what it is that um that you're you're dealing with now some of some people may want to go above and beyond and want to make sure that their therapist also culturally identifies or you know they are the same gender and you know that you know like me i prefer like another black woman therapist um, that has a background in um in you know maybe abuse dynamics um and i i also may go a step further and look at their professional affiliations and accreditations and make sure their license is in good standing um and so i kind of do my due diligence when doing things like that uh, but i think what comes when it comes down to it you want someone who actually has experience and working with what you're going through and and how you determine that is what they write on their website or what they you know, what they, what you've seen them say, um, you know, if, if they've done videos or podcasts or whatever, like it actually speaks to what you're going through and they sound legitimate. Um, what I will say is sometimes even like on social media, I would be careful with, you know, an Instagram personality or a TikTok personality, because a lot of times those are very scripted. Um, and so what people say on a script doesn't necessarily mean they have expertise in that area, because a lot of times people write scripts. And I know that being a podcaster and interviewing several people that I know I can tell instantly who knows what they're doing and what they're not. And so do your due diligence and sort of researching, um, you know, people that actually know and have that that insight, that level of training, right? Because I think their training is also going to speak to it. If a person has only worked at one place or, or they haven't worked with a diverse community, 
you know, that kind of speaks for it. But I think also training and if they have research or if they've done professional writing and things like that, I think those are all elements that you want to look for, you know, just to see if that stuff really speaks to you, if it resonates with you. Um, and I do think that finding a therapist is like finding the perfect shoe it's not something that you want to be like willy-nilly and just like oh i'm just going to select this person um because they're networked with my insurance and i'm just going to go that's great if you have just like some general anxiety or whatever but for deeper like layer trauma you definitely want to find someone who who gets it um you know, and, and, you know, there's all these other things that are like EMDR and brain spotting and all these other interventions. Those are fine. Um, and I don't, I don't, I think those are great additions and you could try things like that. But ultimately I've had people who come to me after trying those things because those interventions can only get you so far. So I think people need to do research before they look into that and be very aware of what the limitations are, um, you know, and how much it's going to actually help you when you look into alternative um, types of therapies, such as brain spotting, such as EMDR, such as tapping. Those are great interventions, but they do only get you so far. And it's not appropriate for everyone. Um, so, you know, if you if you've had some abuse and you have psychosis um, or some severe mental illness, uh, some of those interventions may not be applicable or appropriate to you based on if you have other primary or secondary mental health concerns also. OK, yeah. Thank you for that. Are there like are there any other when you mentioned the limitations of, let's say, the brain spotting and the uh, the brain spotting like. And then I, then you said, like, if you have some other, like, secondary mental illness, that could be a limitation of using that. But is there any anything else? Um, I'm sure that there is. Um, I think it, but I do want to say that I think there are wonderful interventions despite limitations, but just not everybody can use it depending on what's going on in their mental health history or also, you know, just considering what the trauma is, um, what I'll say is considering what your trauma is or how deep it is, it may not, a lot of people think that when I go to a treatment, it's going to heal my trauma just like that. And I, I want to be very clear in saying that it's not going to heal your trauma just like that. So once you use those interventions, while you may feel better, you're still going to have some underlying work and stuff that you need to do when you have interventions like brain spotting and EMDR, if that makes sense. Can you quickly, I probably should have asked this first, but can you define what is exactly the brain spotting and the EDMR? So um, I don't want to get too into it because those aren't my specialties. Okay. Uh, but basically um, with EMDR, eye movement desensitization, um, is basically where you are elementary school way you're basically being reintroduced to the trauma and desensitized to it in your imagination and there's a number of techniques that they use from the eye shifting to tapping to lights flashing and other things that kind of help you sort of reprogram your brain to be very desensitized 
to certain elements of the trauma. And that one I know a lot more clearly than brain spotting. So I, that's the one I'll, I'll speak more to um, because what I, EMDR is actually something that I did study a little bit, but I felt like it wasn't something that I wanted to necessarily certify and train in just because there's so many wonderful forms of psychotherapy. There's attachment-based therapy. Um, there's all this sort of vagal nerve stimulation. You know, there's so much stuff out there. And so, um, you know, so that's, um, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, then let's move on. And then the, yeah, question number three. I am still stuck in the narcissistic environment and I cannot yet live. Uh, I'm 19 years old and I do not have enough money and uh, I, I don't have enough money to live my own. There is a saying that you cannot heal in an environment that made you sick. And this probably is true. But for my situation, it is a bit depressing since I cannot yet leave. Do you have any tips? How could I already start my healing process, even though I'm still in the narcissistic environment? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I would recommend going to some type of therapy, really looking into it. Some of the things that I've already mentioned in terms of, you know, um, getting a support system um, and talking to people that are very objective and clear. So all of the things that I've mentioned before is very applicable to this. Um, you may even, depending on where you're at, there are a lot of free and low fee um, therapy services. I'll mention that if you're in the US, um, I think they have like Open Path Collective and you know, other, other things and where you can get like free or low fee therapy. Um, so just looking into services that are applicable to you and shoring up on your financial service, you know, your financial, um, health is going to help you. It sounds like, it sounds like she has, that person has enough insight to know that, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of low on finances, but making sure that you are taking the steps to become financially independent because sometimes what people do is they say i don't have enough money but they still fall back into this dysfunctional state with the person who they are financially dependent on and, and sort of kind of you know kind of again that sort of falls into like i don't have enough money but i'm not being proactive and making sure that i can develop financial independence if you can do that um, so what i will say is if you can develop some sense of financial independence that's also going to be able to allow you to build the momentum to do what you got to do to get out of there but again um you know therapy helps um friends helps uh journaling helps reading self-help um, you know, there's lots of YouTube podcasts and things like that. All of that helps while you're doing it. But um, you are right. There is only so much that you could do in a dysfunctional environment. And so, you know, until you get out of there, um, that that's where a lot of more of the layered work, the deeper work can begin. Uh, because a lot of the work, if you're still in... Um, if you're still in the abusive environment is going to be working on 
managing the crisis and just basic day-to-day survival skills, um, you know, and so that's, that's kind of where the work focuses on while you're in an oppressive environment. Mm-mm. So it's not like you can't yet progress to working on kind of healing from it. It's just kind of yeah, managing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might be conflict resolution. It might be, you know, a lot of those things, de-escalation, um, you know, just how to take care of yourself while you're in a state or, or learning how to, um, you know, maybe navigate your way out of conflict or, you know, make the conflict less severe if you're able to do that, um, sort of those things. But yeah, healing takes, is is totally different once you're outside of the environment. Mm-mm. Okay, thank you. Uh, then the next question. I feel guilty moving on. I left my narcissistic family behind and I managed to create the type of life that I want for myself and I'm proud of it. I think I have healed from the abuse or almost healed that I experienced. However, from time to time, I notice myself battling with feelings of guilt. I feel that I betrayed them by leaving them behind and that I owe them something. I feel that I'm a cruel person that I left them. Any advice on how to cope with this? So I think it's a, that's your indication right there that you haven't healed. I mean, just even from the language that you're using, but you, do you see how people get that concept that they've kind of healed and that yeah. they've moved on and that their life is 100% better, um, you know, or they feel guilty for making their life better or that they would call themselves cruel for being, uh, for moving on and making them li- their lives better. So again, there's that other aspect of there's more healing that you need to do and that you need to work on for yourself. And that's, that's why I say like, it's, 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 it's a layered process because even though you may be doing well in a lot of areas, this stuff always seems to come back uh, up. So I think recognizing that, Hey, there's an aspect there that I do need to work on. And I actually really need to look at that and, and do some work around that with a therapist, um, and, and really take a look at that because I mean, in all actuality, what do you feel guilty about? You don't really feel guilty about moving on. What you feel guilty about is what your family or what your abusers have conditioned you to feel guilty about, which is putting yourself first. Um, Abusers always want you to put them first. And so the fact that you're feeling guilty is you're feeling guilty that you put yourself ahead of your abusers. And that is, again, um, a byproduct of being a survivor. So that is something that I would say you need to go back and really address and look at that because even the language that you're using to speak to yourself sounds very much like your abuser. Thank you so much. Um, Then the question number five. Uh, Why would a narcissist or narcissistic person have such a strong negative reaction to me moving on with my life and me uh, feeling better about myself? Uh, Is it just because they are so insecure or is there something else to this? Why would they have concerns about you moving on with your life? I, when you think of a narcissist or a narcissistic person, uh, per, a person with narcissistic personality disorder, um, I, 
the the hallmark of of a narcissist or even someone with narcissistic personality disorder because they're two different animals or two different types of people i should say not animals but two different types of people um I'm used to speaking like, like that's a whole other animal, you know, that kind of talk. So um, I just <laughs> I have to get out of that. I'm not calling people animals. Uh, but uh, the the hallmark is their um, their inability to have stability and in interpersonal relationships. Right. So they're always going to be chaotic um, or they're they're going to be destructive in their interpersonal relationships so it it's they're not going to be these wonderful people that when things are over like oh okay you know we didn't end well but goodbye i hope that you have a great life uh from here on it's not it doesn't work like that and I, the whole the whole point of them you know when you're in a relationship with them it the it's characterized by coercive control and secondary gain uh, meaning that you know they have to be in control at all times and the what you are to them is a benefit so they're benefiting from having you in their life in some way right like you are serving them you're serving their needs in some way again if it's even even though it's completely unhealthy and dysfunctional you are to their benefit and so for you to just walk out of their life it's kind of like that toy that's in the toy room like if i'm not playing with it anymore i still don't want to give it away to somebody because it's mine you know and this is the same thing it's like i don't care if we're relationship isn't good anymore or if you don't love me anymore if you feel like you don't want to be here anymore you're mine and that's the other thing is like they view people as possessions so um you know until they get they decide that they're done with it then it is what it is, but they don't want you sort of, you know, doing things on your own or making decisions. And that means that they're losing control. And that can be a very dangerous thing. Thank you so much. Um, today we had some great questions and great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. And thank you so much, Dr. Natalie, for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.